This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Better? Shalom, everyone. Welcome to Practical Spirituality here in the old city of Jerusalem, Asia Torah, overlooking the Temple Mount. And uh, uh, I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, yeah, is that, um, that, you know, today you can search for everything just by searching for it. You don't have to, like, put on a backpack and travel around the world to go discover things. But, but what winds up happening is you're not, your search isn't, um, it's, it's just not integrated enough to make a difference because it's just one, it's just more information. I mean, it may be powerful information and I'm, I'm all about searching things on the web. I, I'm pretty much become a research freak. I think all of, many of us have become research freaks on the web and, and uh, it's been a great resource, but it's not the same as touching it. You know, it's not the same. And we have to, we have to fly sometimes or take a boat or train or move around a bit to experience things. Some things need to be experienced. And one of those things is spirituality. And Judaism is a spiritual uh, phenomenon. It's a purely spiritual phenomenon. And, and therefore... You know, the intellectual aspect of Judaism is, is very important. It's obviously uh, key, but it's, uh, but it's only part of it. And, and therefore, we've we got we to get up and out and off our devices and to, to touch, touch, the, touch the world around us. Um, I've been requested this week to discuss, uh, we, we called it Death Week. Um, I, do, I do all the subjects regarding death. Um, once in a while, I haven't done it in a really long time, and I'm I'm a bit reluctant to do it now. But um, but we're I think we're going to do Death Week a little bit. Uh, let's see where it goes. Um, one thing that's important, by the way, Death Week's really all about life. It's all about life because because death's really all about life. Um, you know, originally, you notice if you look in the Bible, if you look in there, that people live really really long time. You know, there's people alive for hundreds of years. And, and it's also important for us that we may, not, like, we may not understand that, like someone alive for 700 years or 800 years or 900 years. And, you know, what kind of quality of life do you have when you're like 850? But, but it's silly of us to think that way because every species that lives hundreds of years, it's in perfect condition all the time until it finally gets ill at the end of its life. You understand? These weren't like, it wasn't like wheelchairs lined up, you know. <laughs> this was people in their full vigor for hundreds of years. And um, the reason that, that God took that away seems to be that, that it creates your, adole- your adolescence stretches too far. You, you, death isn't on, at the doorway, and so, and so you tend to rest too much. Um, it eventually got moved in the, in the generation of Noah, down to around 120 years as a maximum possibility. And you'll see that people will still waste a lot of years. People will definitely in their, you know, especially in our generation, in their teens and perhaps even in their 20s, waste time. Um, but, but, but eventually you're like, oh, I better make something of myself, or I better make a difference, or I better find out what life's about. It makes you have to eventually put on your running shoes. Death makes us have to get serious about our lives um, and about life in general. Like, what's life about? We have to think about that when we know we're going to lose it. So we've got to start wondering what it's all about. And also, also, we have to be aware of our own purpose because there's no two alike. Just like little toddlers. You know, if you've had 30 little 20 toddlers in a, in a kindergarten, there's no two alike at all. And then, uh, and you look at adults, they're also quite different from each other. Everyone is. Even twins, identical twins, will seem to have different paths in how, they'll do, how they're going to go in the end. And so we have this special purpose. And, and having the, the fact that we're going to die is scary because how are you going to know you're gonna, you've fulfilled it? You're going to have to get busy with that. You've got to know what life's about, and you also got to know what your life's about. So it's a double thing, what life's about, what your specific purpose is for, for filling the space of the planet. And there's nothing like death to wake us up to that. Um, one thing I noted, which was interesting, is um, I left school when I was uh, 11 years old. 
and that's why you're all in my class right now, because that's made all, that has made all the difference in my life. Most people, if they don't go to school and get socialized in a school environment and education system, are going to be in jail. It's not going to be good for them. But there are rare people that that the worst place for them would have been inside that education system, and and that the uh, and that the best place would be anywhere else, and and therefore developing themselves in the ways they'll develop. And, and that was me. And I got to be that person. I really was that person. And thank God my parents had the wisdom not to push me too hard. Um, you know, eventually I think I told them when I was about 16, I told them that, that you know, I think we've just got to make things really clear here that I won't be involved in regular society. And <laughs> I'd like that subject to just no longer be brought up, if you don't mind. Like that. That's just not... That's just not on the table, you know, and we're, we're not going to be discussing that. So, and and they, they honored that, they honored that, and, and that was it. And there wasn't a lot of discussion about it to begin with, but I just felt like it was a mute point. Uh, but there was a point where I was living in Santa Barbara, and I was thinking, hey, we got this whole university campus, UCSB, otherwise known for its initials, you can study buzzed. And I got this whole campus here, and maybe... Maybe I had to check it out a little bit. So, so of course, I wasn't really part of any of those classes on the roster, but no one stopped me. Yeah, what's up, bro? Were you raised in California? Yeah, I was raised in L.A. Yeah. Really? What high school did you go to? <laughs> what high school? I just got through saying I didn't. <laughs> no, my name was on the list, yeah. My name was on the You guys, you got you to gotta, you gotta help out now. You got to help with chairs. We got plenty of chairs. Okay. How you doing? Welcome. I know you, Zev. Hi, Rena. Nice to meet you. Welcome to our little We're project. We're back to Chicago. I just wanted, we had to say goodbye. But, oh, but you're going to learn with us, right? We are. Come quick, quick. Chairs. You guys, you're on, man. This is you. This is you, bro. Mr. L.A., peel off those chairs like nothing doing. Fast, fast. Peel, peel. Move. You are so slow. Oh, my gosh. He's a millennial. Slide the chairs up. Slide them up. Up the, no, but slide them up. Slide them up the aisle a little bit. If you guys want to sit together, we could have this row turn. You guys want to go out Now you can sit together. There, we're all friends now. I feel so bad for the people watching this, but I guess they're they're used to it at this point. You know, this class. How many chairs are you on now? I just need to know. Two? You're on two? Okay, so we have two extra spots. Okay. Anyway, can someone remind me what I was talking about? <laughs> Not all at once, though, please. <laughs> you can so I go on the campus, and I go on the campus... And and I go to the philosophy department, and I and I join the graduate philosophy PhD program in philosophy. <laughs> I'm glad you guys think it's funny. I'm laughing because I forgot what I was talking about and why I'm even mentioning this. Like, what does this have to do with anything? I don't People living for what? Missing the plane back? I don't know. <laughs> People living 900 years? I don't. Was this at UC Santa Cruz? No, it was Santa Barbara. But I can't remember why I was bringing this up. Some kids are better if they don't go to school at all. Yeah, but that wasn't it. You weren't part of society. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Still not. Still not. But you know what? I want to discuss that as a moment for a well, moment. People wasting time, God shortening the lifespan, and then you went into you dropped out of school. That's why we're in your class. And you joined this school about studying us, and you joined the PhD program. I don't remember why I was talking about that. Okay, but but I would like to talk a little bit about rebellion. That that Judaism is is a rebellious tradition. It, we're 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 built to rebel. Our founder is Ab- our founder is Abraham. Abraham rebelled against his father. The uh, the rebellion of uh, Moses against Pharaoh's kingdom when he, you know, stood up for the 
for the slave and um and the but the the rebellions are going on all the time there's society and then there's the jews and and we are it's a very jewish thing to be countercultural and and to um and to rebel you know in a, in a big way and so the reason i bring it up is it, it's kind of interesting how not rebellious that how Yes, rebellious and not rebellious, the ultra-Orthodox community is. Because on the one hand, they're extremely rebellious against Westernism. Extremely rebellious. And it shows up so much in Israel because Israel's much more of a Western society with these black-hatitude rebels, you know, who are big in number and growing. Like the births that will happen during this class in Israel. <laughs> can imagine what they're going to look like when they're my age. You know, you look like me. So... Because that's just who's having babies in this country. And so that's an inevitable fact, you know. It's, it's going to be a different Israel. You know, when you kids get older, you're gonna, it's going to be a totally different Israel. And, yeah, it's going to be pretty intense. But you should know that they're gonna be, it's going to be much more biblical in nature. Even though the black attitude community is going to inherit the land of Israel, it's gonna be, they're going to be much more biblical. They'll probably switch to white robes because... Because the whole society of the black hat community is, is built off a of reaction. They're all about reacting. But if you have no one left to react to, all you have left is Torah, mitzvahs, prayer. You understand, you're like, your whole life is light. And there's no one to react to anymore. And so you, I think we're just going to go fully biblical. So the same thing everyone's so scared of, and people really are nervous about this this population takeover that's going to be happening over the next 30 years here. Even though it makes people really nervous, I think that it's going to be actually a pretty chill situation at the end because it's, uh, because they're going to run out of who to react to. And then, and that'll be that. Um, but what I want to mention is that it's, it's not very rebellious within, within it's uh, it's quite conformist within. And so they're very rebellious against Westernism, but they're quite conformist within, in their own world. And, and that's not Jewish. And so it has a way of, uh, of it has its way of sending off. It's got a, it, you know what it's like, the, the Haredi world, we call it Haredi, in black hat world is called Haredi. It's like a spinning top where the nucleus, the nucleus of the spin, the, the center of the spin is constantly whisking off its appendages, so to speak, meaning there's a, there's a much stronger centrifugal force on the outside of it. good example of that is, is uh, and there may be some people in this room, actually, now that I'm looking at there's people who are my age and older, is that you might have grown up as a very observant person, and now you kind of feel like a goy compared to the situation at hand of the black hat world is that you could grow up feeling very much part of the mainstream observant community, but as the, as the center of the spin narrows, without you changing a thing, you suddenly want, become periphery. And you understand you can easily become periphery as things get stricter and stricter. The center gets smaller and smaller. But there's another thing is that it has a way of, of, it has a way of having people fly off, especially teenagers. Teenagers have a way of shooting off of it. Now, there's two reasons for that. One reason is because the overemphasis on, on scholarship is, uh, is not fair to a population. Not everyone in the population. It is true that Jews are, exa- are like one mark higher in IQ than the rest of the world's population. I mean, the, the average IQ of, an, let's say, an Ashkenazic Jew is, is one whole uh, position higher than the population of the world. And so, yes, it would lend itself to scholarship, but if you have seven kids, eight kids, nine kids, ten kids, how many of those kids are the ones who are going to be those scholars? And by the way, IQ and scholarship are two very separate things. I'm, I'm a total non-scholar with IQ. You understand? So it depends what you're interested in. It depends on your interest. There are intellectually interested people. But uh, let's, let's break that down a little bit. Let's have some Kabbalistic fun. Oh, this pen looks... Might be okay. So, if you look at the at life, everyone's broken down between intellectuals, and then there's in, then there's interpersonal people, and then you have 
what are called instinctual people. So this is the breakdown of humanity is intellectual, interpersonal, and instinctual. And it works very well with our bodies because you got the head is intellectual, you got the heart, which is interpersonal, and then you got the legs and the and the you know the sexual apparatus, which is much more the instinctual aspect of humanity. Now we can number them. And there's a reason why I'll number them is because it's important to know what you are of these three. What do I mean by that? You're all three. I mean, all of you came to a class today. So if you came to a class, you're automatically somewhat intellectual. Okay? Maybe I should add the you all here. Okay? So you're somewhat intellectual if you came to this class. You're definitely interpersonal to a certain extent. And all of us have you know, a certain level of instinct as well. So we have all three, but the question is, what's your order? So I know in my life, I'm a two, three, one. I'm a two, three, one. My number one thing is going to be interacting with people. My number two thing is going to be, uh, I mean, just what I did today, I started with a hot mikvah. I did serious stretching, did push-ups, and I did uh, I did a... I don't know. I did yoga. I did the, I mean, I, I was very in the physical. And then I went to study. And then I went to, oh no, then I went to pray. Sorry, I forgot I went to pray. Minor detail. <laughs> then I went to pray, which is, you know, relationship with God. And then I went to study. So, so I was really, when I, but I, then again, I wake up more body. I think all of us wake up a little more body. So the hot mikvah is going to be really important and stretching and stuff like that. So it's interesting, though, if you think about it, like the, the Hasidic way of life where we start with a mikvah is, is kind of working this way because you're, you're first just getting your body in water and, you know, kind of getting your kinks worked out. And then you're, then you're hitting the prayer. Okay, this is all relationship here. And then you're hitting the brain when you go to study. So, so it's important to know your numbers. And one of the important reasons, one of the reasons you want to know your numbers is when you get married, it'd be nice if you and your spouse share the same numbers. Meaning it'd be great to marry someone if I'm a 231 and I, I married a 231, which has worked pretty well. So we generally are enjoying each other. Most, am I block, blocking the board here? Isn't Avram, Sarah, and like Yisroch and Rivka, they were not the same? I don't know what their thing was, really. Um, when it comes to this, you're thinking of Kavim. Chesed, right. we're in two pairs. Mm-hmm. Those are Kavim. This, this is verticals. This is Chachman Bina Das. Chesed, we're in two pairs. This is Netzach, right. Hodisot. So you're more on the side. Right, so they could have been the same? They were not the same. The Avram was, that's the better way to go. Is there's a whole other access, everybody, and that's your style. These are your interests. Okay, those are your interests. Those are your interests. And then there's your style. Style is a totally different subject. So in style, we have people who are, who are, uh, we have people who are flow style. That's me. Flow style. And then we have structured style people. So there's structure style, and then there's flow style. So Avraham is total flow, and you hear it in his name. You hear it in his name. It's Avraham. Every word of it is just like, ah, (laughs) you know, it's flow. Whereas Yitzchak, Yitzchak is like total structure. Yitzchak, every letter of it. Sarah is Avram's wife. Sarah is, um, sounds somewhat flow, except its meaning is very structured because it means to be a, a, uh, in charge, a minister, someone who's, who's, you know, in charge of things. And that's, that's a more structured thing. That's a managerial position. What's up guys? Welcome. That's more managerial. Keep going over a little more so he can get in the door. No, no, you're good. Or the lady could slide her. You guys are great. It's actually a drop-in chorus, and you guys <laughs> fulfilled it more than anyone at this point. <laughs> you can drop out to me. Uh, in terms of Sphero, how does it 
I'll, I'll tell you in a second, but you'll see that the couples, Yitzchak marries Rivka. And Rivka's also flow. She's flow. She's like got the water and she's pouring the water. Water's, water's the ultimate expression of flow. It goes into any situation. You know, can I lift this? Mm-hmm. So like this water is just going anywhere. But what is the bottle? Is it floor structure? It's pure structure. And you should know everything in the creation is flow and structure. And everything in creation is masculine and feminine. And the masculine is the flow and the feminine is the structure of everything. And there's nothing but that. That's all that exists is flow and structure. In every single thing you'll ever look at. I thought you said Yitzhak was structure. He is structure. Rivka's flow. You said male was... Well, you have to be male, but men have both sides. I have a lot of flow in me, and I am male. But there's plenty of men with plenty of structure in their personality. But good luck me being a homemaker. You know, that's my wife, who's got the structure down pretty well. But she's pretty flow, too, so it gets interesting. You know, like, you know, I'm off to go surfing, and she's going to do yoga, and, like, we're both looking at each other saying, who's making the chillin'? And uh, we both point, you. You know, it's just like... But that's the whole confusion with humanity is we're not sure what our genders are, especially in this generation. But the, but we're, we're both, we have to develop both. Now, what I suggest is to celebrate who you are and stretch to the other side. So I celebrate being a flowmeister and I stretch to structure. That's the way I have to go. I'm a flow, I stretch to structure. <coughs> Otherwise, my life's just in total chaos. Total chaos being flow, because flow is more chaotic. What's interesting is females are generally chaos and men are generally order, which really gets confusing because the flow is the masculine form of things and the structure is the feminine form of things. And yet flow, the more something flows, the the more chaotic things go, which is female. Female's chaos. So I haven't dealt with this yet. This is tough to deal with, is how flow leads to chaos and females chaos when flows the masculine. So, we'll, we'll, uh, I'm going to have to put that together. That's been kind of a homework assignment that I've been putting off for a while. Okay. But anyway, if you want examples how everything's male and female and everything's flow and structure, I can give you some. Uh, like, for example, uh, this was a fabric. Peace goods probably came from India, the looks of it. And, uh, and then they cut it. It was just a long, you know long roll of fabric it got cut to size exactly this table here was a tree growing in all its flow and it got cut down to structure which is which is this to shape this thing and the uh, and everything is having that the, the window was molten glass flow but it got it got molded in a structure so the that molt, molten is the masculine it's the flow and then the structure was the mold and now it's inside a door frame, which is the feminine, the structure that holds it. And the door, the hinges on the door are the same thing, and the handle on the door is the same thing, and my buttons are, are flowing structure, and, and it's, you, there's nothing but that. That's all there is in the entire creation, is just flowing structure. And we have to have them both going on, but you've got to celebrate your, na- your nature. You want to celebrate your nature... Um, what I mean by that, the reason I keep saying celebrate your nature is that once in a while you meet someone who's not going to live very long. And the reason is because they're, they're, they're spending most of their time in stretch. Because the, what had happened was that maybe their father was in kind of a structure occupation, and his father was, and they were all in, which is, let's say is medicine, is very structured. And then all of a sudden a boy is born to the family who's flow, but he's going to med school. But now he like he doesn't wake up till noon, and then he smokes weed from noon till night. Wake and bake, Boker Toker, yeah. <laughs> and he's and so obviously something's really wrong with this guy, you know. Like meaning he is he's trying to make his he's trying to make the majority of hours of his life in the stretch position. That's not going to be good for anybody, and it's not good for society, and it's not going to be helpful. And you see that people's being will rebel when they're when they're put in a position that's stretch all the time. Now it's good to you've got to stretch or you're gonna be in trouble. And that's the middle way is balance. All of us are in balance, and we achieve that balance by stretching in either direction. Now, now ideally you want to marry someone who's the opposite in style. 
but the same in interest. So we got style, and then we got interest. And you you want to find? I'm just mentioning marriage because a lot of people here seem to be single, so plenty of marrieds too. But but I, but you want the opposites. Now, by the way, what happens if you're already married and you see that you don't you're not exactly matched up there? <laughs> no. And no, what you do is you stretch. You're stretching. You're going to be stretched in your marriage, which is going to be difficult, but you stretch for each other. You've got to stretch it a bit. And my wife, for example, her intellect's much, much more than mine. I'm, I'm not, that's not my key interest in my life. So she's, she's an author and a research lady, and, and she's... she's uh, when, when she finishes Shabbos, Shabbos lunch, she's excited to start studying books. And all I want to do is what? Sleep. I just want to go to sleep. Yeah. I just want to go to sleep after Shabbos lunch. And she, it took her a couple years to realize that after we got married. You know, it started with me sleeping at the table. <laughs> and, then, and then later it was like, why don't we go to the room and you'll read the whatever source and I'll, I'll listen. <laughs> And, you know, the writing was on the wall that I'm not going to be studying anything after chilling, you know. I, I'm not, that's not how it works. Anyway, but the, these are, these are them. Now, as far as the spheros of Torah is concerned, so we've got here is, is uh, this is the, uh, the part of your brain that's, uh, what do you call it? Um, associative. Yeah, the right brain, which is associative. That's the associative part of your brain. And then we got um, the left side, which is the analytical part of the brain. This is going to freak you guys out that we got this, that Judaism has this so wired, but we got this totally wired. So this middle part is the decisive part of the brain. You sure? <laughs> Positive. And, the, uh, and then in the interpersonal, on this side, we have the the, um, it's going to sound redundant, but this is flow. And then over here is structure. And then over here we have what's called uh, beauty, which is a weird word to be putting here, but you'll understand in a minute. Over here we got the uh, end goal, whatever that may be at any given time, there's always an end goal. And um, and then here we have perseverance. And here we have focus. And here we have um, connection. And what's important about all these words is is you can literally find your occupation, like how you're supposed to make your living, right here on the board. See which one of these you're best at. What are, you, what are you really good at in all these? So my number one spots here are flow and perseverance. I said I'm a 2-3-1 and I'm on the flow side. So these are going to be my main spots. So I'm in a total... I, what do I do for a living? I, I literally go around and I let my mind burp in front of people. And uh, otherwise known as stream of consciousness teaching, which is all I do. And I'm just doing my stream of consciousness in the flow, and anytime I'm not with you, I'm usually either mountain biking, surfing, doing yoga, stuff like that, and, and I do some study, I stretch to the top, I have to stretch up there, but I, I, I do some studying, obviously I studied many years, I'm, I mean I studied eight years straight, I stretched for eight years straight till like, it almost killed me. In my rabbinic, when I was being, uh, uh, you know, in the studies to become a rabbi, but like at the climax of the studies, my brain swelled and I was hospitalized mm. with brain swelling. <laughs> Meaning I had stretched too far. And I got a call from Rabbi Yitzhak Berkowitz, who's one of the number one rabbis and who's the one who, who was my rabbinic, you know, my, the signature on my rabbinic thing. He, he called me in the hospital and he says, he says, uh, Torah is not supposed to kill you. <laughs> Those were his words. And he says, you get sick one more time, you're off the program. So I had to be a little more careful after that with, with uh, studying the information that I was studying, which was total rocket science. And we were being tested on the, these insane details that, you know, that no one 
ever would even need to know unless he was in a very specific job in, as a rabbi. Um, anyway, so... You can actually look at these things. So just, you want me to explain one? Yes. So let me explain beauty, because beauty's my favorite. Beauty's amazing. Uh, <coughs> I wish I knew where my guitar was. Uh, would you get my guitar from next door? I think Rabbi Neckmeyer is playing my guitar right now. Yeah, I'm going to pull rank and get my guitar in here. Okay? Did I write structure? I'm so sorry. That's not structure. That's limit. Okay, so... Is that still flow, then, on the other side? Yeah, it stays flow. Okay. Um, anyway, so let's look at this. Uh, the ocean. Someone point to the ocean. Which, which word? Flow. Flow. Ocean's flow. What's the seashore? Limit. Limit. Very good. It's limit. <laughs> and what's the beauty? What's the beauty of it all? Limit. That it stays... No, that it stays that way. <coughs> Is it, what's the exa- what is a tsunami? So take your time. Thank you. What's a tsunami? What's a tsunami? Too much of what? Yeah, too much flow. Very destructive. Chaos. Very destructive. A lot of chaos there. Yeah? And, uh, and the seashore is not really doing its job during a tsunami. And it just takes over. Now, what am I doing with these guitar strings right now? Sounds nice. Beauty. Not at all. Yucky. Playing too hard. Lots of flow. And I'm letting all the strings, which are, are, which are right now uh, vibrating between this bridge and that bridge, which means they're at full oscillation. Sounds terrible at full oscillation. Clear? Now, if I limit that flow, for example, this string, and I limit that flow to here, what I've done is I've I put a new bridge in, a man-made bridge is my finger, it's now the new bridge. And I've shortened the length between this bridge and here, which is going to cause a faster vibration, it doesn't have as much string to vibrate, it's, it's now a shortened string, and so it's going to have that much, that much vibration. So I've now limited it, limited that flow, but it still doesn't sound very beautiful. Now, what's the end goal? Let's say I was playing a concert for you all. And I wanted to play a concert that would bring you to a meditative state. So I want some open strings. And so what beauty is going to do to make it a beautiful concert is I'm going to, I'm going to, it's going to go down here to, um, can you open that pen? It's going to go down to the end goal, which is you going into a meditative state. Okay, which is the end goal. And what's going to happen is, for me to get you into that meditative state, it's got to inform where I should be putting my fingers, which is the limit. It's going to inform the limit right there. And then this is always going to be flowing. I mean, I, if I don't hit the strings, there's no music at all. So I, we're always going to have flow. And so what I'm doing is I'm limiting my strings and to play something beautiful. <coughs> Everyone close your eyes a moment. Breathe. Everyone close your eyes. I feel someone's looking at me. Everybody. Read. 
thinking that while we were singing on the sea of love by the way i own that domain obviously i'm a sea of love.com and uh and in fact all my all these videos are under that under i'm a sea of love.com but the but the, the you know what i was thinking about i was thinking that under the ocean is all kinds of mystery and there's stuff that's beautiful and there's stuff that's bland and boring and and there's stuff that's scary and there's stuff that's yucky and anyone who's done some diving you know there's some pretty yucky stuff in there like crustaceans and things like that and uh anyway there's a lot under there and if you're a sea of love the only way you'll ever experience love in your life is is to allow all the stuff you'd never want anyone to see allow that to be seen meaning not to everybody i'm not asking you to walk around exposed like that but (laughs) but um but to allow, allow the parts that you... I mean, think about it. the parts of you that you're ashamed of and you just never want anyone to know means that, that you can't really be vulnerable totally to anybody because then they would know. And so therefore, if you're not going to be vulnerable, what's the price for love? What's the price to have love in your life? Vulnerability. And you can't have love if you're not going to be vulnerable. And so, well, it's an easy equation. Get, first of all, get acquainted with your shame inside of you. Get acquainted with the part of you that's ashamed and the parts of you that just you didn't want anyone to know about or to see. Get acquainted with it. Know what it is. Label it. You know, label all its parts. And, 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 then, uh, and then for the people who, I mean, this is going to sound like a little too easy an equation, but I, I think it does work, is, is choose the people you'd like to be close to and who obviously are interested in being close to you. I mean, don't just lay this on random people. But find someone who's like got a similar interest in closeness and share that. I mean, isn't that what friends are? Isn't that what friends are who expose their vulnerabilities to each other? And, and which includes the parts of us that we really would rather keep to ourselves. Anyway, so I was thinking about being a sea of love means it includes the whole sea including everything underneath that might be a little boring or scary or yucky or like to allow yourself to, to be in, you know, whole in there. Uh, yeah, my friend from L.A., you, you raise your hand. What about it? <clears throat> um, to get married and have children? So then he has a bigger mitzvah. Because then he's doing it 100% for God. And he'll probably be a better father. Because, because he's, really, he's really doing it to... He's, he's really doing it to fulfill the commandment of being fruitful and multiplying. And he'll probably make sure his kids are, are going to be, you know, really special people as opposed to people who have children for selfish reasons. So 
that guy would probably make the best father. Um, he, and anyway, he's going to love his kids. Yeah, they have a bigger mitzvah. Did I not answer that question? Yeah, then they really have a mitzvah. I, I didn't want to have kids. I'm a good father. I'm a good dad. Oh, really? And you're her father? And what? We have children at home. We have children. Yeah, your wife and you, and they, uh, and you're a good father. And I'm a good father, and I did not want to have children. I told my mom that five years previously before I met her. I told I my not, mom that too. I'm uh, not having children. I said. Uh, yeah, but I understand you. It's very millennial, by the way, even though you're over the age a bit. But it's very millennial not to want to have kids because then you're going to have to work. <laughs> yeah. Is he asking if somebody doesn't want to get married and have children and start a family? Because he repeated the question. It sounded more like that to me than it did. Oh, he didn't want to get married? At all. That's what it sounded like to me. Oh, you don't want to get married? No, not me. I'm just asking. <laughs> <laughs> no, someone who doesn't want to get married has just been, they've just been badly hurt, that's all. They, they just need to heal their war wounds. Once they heal all their wounded hearts and stuff, then, they, then they'll want to be married. We all desperately want someone to hold our heart, and there's nothing better than marriage for that. To have someone hold all of your heart. That's why we have that whole ceremony and and the rings and stuff and the and it's like legal t- contracts and stuff. Why why do you need a contract if you love somebody? You know, set them free. You know, just listen to Sting. You know, if you love someone, set them free. Why does love come with all these contracts? And the answer is is that the the marriage is such a level of vulnerability that can only be achieved. You can only achieve that level of vulnerability when you have an insurance policy for your heart. You can't get to that level of intimacy without an insurance policy. It's got to be really hard to dump you. Okay? It's got to be uncomfortable and expensive and all kinds of other issues. It's got to hemorrhage everywhere if you're going to get dumped. And, and once, you, once you have the, the potential of having it not work out, in a, in, but in a real crash and burn fashion. So then there's a chance for intimacy. Now there's a chance, not just intimacy, but like real exposure. It, marriage is what allows us to go to the ultimate vulnerability because we're, we're now safe. And this is one of the things that I, I feel so bad for girls because, because um, men like, we're, we're a little more interested in uh, honor than love. Um, which, by the way, honor is just a counterfeit of love. It's just the counterfeit of love. Attention and respect and all that's just a counterfeit of love. It's just that men are a little more afraid of that vulnerability than women are, and which is fine. Men don't have to be, you know, men are, it's good for men to be a little invulnerable, especially when they've traditionally had the role of going out there, making a living, and, and you don't want to be too vulnerable out there. And so it's, it's fine that men are a little more invulnerable, but, uh, but women are pretty quick to admit that what they really want is, is love. And, and so what happens is there's men who know this about women. They know the secret. And so, and so it's really important that women always know if any man says he loves you, you must pour cold water all over him. Okay? Tell him you tell me all about how much you love me once there's a wedding ring on me, a wedding band, not an engagement ring. You can tell, talk love till the end of the world once you put a ring on my finger, but don't, don't play that game because that's called seduction. Any man who tells a girl he loves her without the... Without the uh, no, without the... Um, no, without the... Uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Uh, the, uh, the commitment, but the, what you wind up in trouble with... Uh, I don't know, the accountability. I guess, yeah, any man who, has, who tells a girl he loves her before he's already put his, all the accountability forward is a seducer. He's not, a, he's not anyone who's interested in love. He's someone who's seduced in the middle of a seduction. And so I'm, I say this a lot in my classes, and I guess I'm just saying it again, is for girls to beware of never, ever let a man say, he, never fall into the clutches of a man who says he loves you until he's put something on the table. He's got to put some skin out there. 
And otherwise, how hard is it for how hard is it for some young guy who needs a cold shower to start throwing the L word around? Not very hard. It's just a matter of finding the right target, someone who's been hurt, someone who's a little bit of a victim from her past, and he's in. So, so it's uh, anyone, any any guy who tells you he loves you, just slap him. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, you said something about if you figure this out, you know what your, your job should be. How does that work? You, oh, so jobs. Yeah, here's some jobs. Um, the, is it? Thank you. So these are intellectual jobs. <laughs> these are intellectual jobs. So this is this is going to be uh, maybe a little more university style professorships type things. Uh, this is uh, rabbis are good up here a lot because they're you know their job's pretty intellectual. Um, but the, analytical, it depends. It depends. So like there's rabbis that are more associative. Like I'm more interested in Kabbalah. And I have other friends who are more interested in, in Talmud. And then I have friends who are really interested in Halakha. So, the, so it just depends. And um, this is CEOs of companies. Almost every CEO of a major company that's a successful CEO is going to be here. That's going to be his position. Um, over here, people are going to be, like, for example, in Microsoft, there's people who just sit in, like, garden areas. They're probably really high or on microdosing LSD. Who knows what they're doing? But they're like... They're considering Microsoft's next moves, and they're the associated <laughs> thinkers. Um, they send that to the people who now have to see if they can, in a cost-effective <coughs> way, make that happen. And then he's going to make the decision, ultimately. Um, these people are, are amazing counselors, really good counselors. Sadly, they get sent to schools, and that's why, and in our generation, life coaching has, is starting to like eclipse psychologists. Because anyone who's willing to stretch up to here probably belongs there to begin with. You know, whereas a flow personality is never going up there. A flow interpersonal is going to be the one who's going to really understand you. He's going to get you. She's going to get you. And that's why life coaching is like a really important thing today because people are more willing to trust a life coach today and, um, and go get the help they, they need with having someone get in there with them. Um, over here is, uh, this is uh, doctors that are involved with people. These are lab doc- these are lab medical people. These are uh, doctors who are dealing with, like, f- these are physicians. These are physicians over here, and they're very structure-oriented. And, and they have to know a ton, but they also got to interact. These are surgeons, by the way. You notice their bedside manners are atrocious. Like, they have the worst bedside manner because they're not interpersonal people. And, whereas this is a physician who's very much involved with, you know, getting a sense of you. And uh, and these people are always managerial, so this is going to be... The ultimate job here would be the maitre d' of a restaurant, you know, because the people keep coming late. Meanwhile, he's got to turn up... Uh, did I say a maitre d'? A, a manager of a restaurant. It could be also the maitre d'. But, you know, there's a lot of variables, but they, in the end they got to turn a profit, so they're going to have to figure out, you know, the, all... They need to know how much carrots are by the pound and how many carrots are going into recipes of what's getting ordered, and not to over-order, you know, the recipes that have a lot of this in it that don't get ordered so much. You've got to be careful how much produce they order. That's going to be this guy. And um, over here, this is a... This, now we're in the instinct stuff, so this is going to be more body-oriented people. A um, little more, not necessarily, though. Uh, but pers- over here, the perseverance flow people are athletes. Those are athletes, generally. And, uh, but it could also be in, uh, instructors of athletics, like aerobics, Pilates. Those are all going to be over here type people. And, uh, of course, they have to understand some structure. They've got to know some anatomy, but it's not a big deal. And they, they can study that stuff easy enough, and, and they'll be happy there. Uh, this will be the ultimate. Uh, oh, also, um, this is all the laborers, like builders. People are building stuff with their hands over here. These are people who are involved in much more technical stuff. Um, you know, they, they might be repairmen. Or, or people are actually, um, they're, they're engineers of, of various things, uh, maybe electrical engineers, computer programming type stuff. They're going to be much more down here. Um, the, uh, this person here is going to be managerial. Remember, the middle is always managerial types because they can handle everybody. It's a very rare thing, by the way. One in 50 people is balanced. I mean, if we went through our whole room, we don't even have 50 people. There might not be one balanced person in this room. I mean, we're all just stretching to get to our balance. And then once in a while, though, you get that person who's dead center like that. Um, 
anyway, but then we got the connection type person, and that's that's a. Uh, I mean, I, I, in an ideal form, it would be a, a a contractor with his big truck, you know, and he's handling all the workers, and he's dealing with all the technical stuff, and what kind of air conditioning s- system is going to fit in this building, and and getting it all installed right and stuff, dealing with the technical people and the the regular schlepping people schlepping cement bags. And obviously the end goal would be the building. No matter what we're dealing with, the end goal is the person's healed. You know, that if he's a doctor, that's going to be the end goal. The, uh, but you should know, interestingly, the finance community is all here. These are all finance people. These are non-intellectuals. They're extremely brilliant. And you know how we got on this whole thing? We were talking about, uh, you probably didn't notice this, but we were talking about people being very smart. High IQ, oh my gosh. <laughs> High IQ non-scholars. That was the missing link. High IQ non-scholars <laughs> surfing in Santa Barbara full time. Goes to the philosophy PhD department <laughs> to study for a year. That is so funny that we got that. Yeah, so that's how we got to this class. This whole class came off that. And anyway, but these, these uh, all the finance communities over, over here, they're, they're not very intellectual. They don't care about ideas so much. Um, but they're extremely smart, really understand structure, and they got their finger on the pulse of moving markets and stocks and stuff. Shalom, everybody. Lawyers? Prob- they're probably down here and here. Probably these two. Maybe a little more up there. Okay. Shalom, everybody. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.